My name is Xion, and as Pastor Phil introduced us, um, we are from Guam. And this is my lovely wife, Amber. Actually, fun fact, Pastor Phil married us, and so thank you so much. If you ever want a marriage counseling, this guy's, man, the best. So um, we're going to share a little bit about you guys, uh, share with you guys a little bit about what we're doing in Guam and a little bit about Guam. You might not even know where Guam is. So I'm going to leave it to the pro. I'm not from Guam. My wife is born and raised, and she is the native of Guam, so she's going to share a little bit about it. All right. Half a day, everyone. Can you say half a day? Not half a day, half a day. <laughs> so, you know, I'm always a little bit nervous about coming up on stage, but thanks to Daniel, I, I remember it's all right. It's okay. So that's nice. Um, so, <laughs> so um, you know, it's so great to be back in, in, in Loma Linda. I was here for the past four years, and in 2022, I finished dental school. Thank you, Jesus. Um, it's, you know, it's weird when I'm driving along Barton, my body's like, what am I doing here? A little bit of, I don't know, PTSD is the right word, but it, it's like I should be in school mode, but I'm not. So thank God. It's just a lovely trip. We just get to see friends, go surfing, be with family. Um, so it's been so great to be back. I actually got a little bit emotional during that song that said, if our God is for us, then who can stand against us? And that really hit me thinking about graduating dental school. I thought there were times in my life I didn't think I was going to make it. Um, but now I just, this past year, I've been a dentist for one whole year. <laughs> I'm one years old. And just to share, I'm, I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. So I'm the mental health director at the Guam SDA clinic. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's so crazy working. You know, you, you're a baby dentist, you're a baby psychiatrist, and you go to the mission field, and boom, suddenly you're the director of the mental health department, my husband, and I'm one of the only two dentists there, and um, it's been such a blessing. We've grown so much, and yes, and we're so grateful for the growth that Praxis has given us, and I really feel like Loma Linda has fed us spiritually so much that we we're able to share so a little bit about guam so um yes i'm a local from the island of guam um i was just telling my friends the other day when i was on an airplane coming to dental school and i looked out the window and it was all brown i wanted to cry but i did have a lot of end up having a lot of fun in california there's beauty everywhere but there's not a lot of beauty like this <laughs> Um, so I'm from the island of Guam, and does anybody know what, where Guam is located? I have a friend here that's from Guam, so you're not allowed to answer. <laughs> um, Tommy, Tommy and Rand are from Guam. Anybody know what the sub-region, it starts with an M, a letter M? Oh, wow, you guys are good, Micronesia. Micronesia, and do you know what a person from Guam is called? Oh, did you say Guamian? No. <laughs> no, I get Guamese a lot. I do get Guamese a lot. Any, yell it out if you know. So, so yes, 
Okay, sorry, I'm hearing a lot of <laughs> great guesses, but no. Um, Guamanian. Guamanian. Maybe one or two people in my life have guessed it right in the first try. But um, <clears throat> So, yeah, we're actually a part of the Marianas Islands on the top left, and we're the southernmost tip of the Marianas Island. We're the biggest island in that group. And if you live in Guam, you're Guamanian. If you have native blood in you, you're Chamorro. So, yes, Matt, Chamorro. So I'm Chamorro. My dad is, yeah, my dad is Chamorro. Um, so does anybody know how many miles long Guam is? <laughs> Three miles long? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Great guess. Um, we are 35 miles long and 15 miles wide. And last, last trivia, fun trivia question. Uh, population of Guam. How many how many people do you think live and reside on the island of Guam? <laughs> My friend Michael Abasamas guessed 170,000. That's that's really close. It's 162,000. So we're pretty packed in there. We have three military bases on the on, on the island. Um, but yes, it's it's beautiful. So next picture. We, my husband and I, like we said, work at the Guam Seven-Day Adventist Clinic. I don't know if I'm in the way. But um, we started working there a year ago. A little bit of history about the SDA clinic. It started in what year, do you think? 19? So groundbreaking was 1969. So we started, uh, the clinic started becoming operative in 1970. So we have um, a medical side with family practice doctors and a bunch of different doctors, surgeons, orthopedic. We also have, so we have the medical side. And then in the same building, we have a dental side. And then we have a pharmacy. We have eye clinic. Is that it? Yes. And that's all. That's what we have here in this tiny little um, SDA clinic, and we have tons of patients that come in and out of that building every single day. And <clears throat> next, we'll go ahead and share another pic. So this, uh, and being a part of the mission field, this is our need, you guys. You know, I know that you can be a missionary anywhere. It truly is what spirit you have, but out there, there's such a need. There's so many medical providers in Loma Linda, and we just need a few. <laughs> um, so we, yeah, this is our need. We especially, the medical side right now, um, especially needs uh, pediatrician. Go yeah, ahead. pediatrician, family med, internal med, and OB-GYN. And, you know, if you're a, even a medical student, if you're a resident, there's opportunities for you guys, too, to come. And for a short term, and to get some experience. So there's many, many opportunities. Yes, um, if you, well, we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, just to wrap things up, I'm, I'm going to stop talking so my husband can talk. Um, well, if, if actually, if one, one thing, oh, I was back on. If, if you are actually interested, you know, I, I don't know if you read the whole list there, but there's so many opportunities. So if you're in the medical field, you're interested, 
in serving Guam SDA clinic, you could email me. Uh, this is my work email, and tell me like, hey, um, I want to come for short term, long term, whatever it is. Um, my wife is actually doing something called the DMA program, which is a they actually pay your loan off. If you're a dental student, medical student, they actually pay your loan off to be a missionary. And so that there's those kind of opportunities. So if you're interested, you could email me and let me know, and we could get in touch. Or you could come and talk to me after we're done, and we could get um, we could get exchange contacts. And and we'll be there, so you'll have friends. <laughs> <laughs> and just to wrap it up um, with a little short history of my family. Like I said, you could be a missionary anywhere. You really could. But um, specifically for my family, if it weren't for a medical missionary by the name of Joe Nozaki, he was a surgeon, and he took the time. Even though he was such a busy surgeon, every single night he took the time out of his schedule and had Bible studies late into the night with my father. And we were not Adventists at the time, but my dad was a truth seeker. And so even though he was 70 years old, tired, and he was a surgeon, he would sometimes go till like 10 p.m. having Bible studies, answering all my dad's questions. And because of that missionary's commitment to spread the gospel, I'm here today. I was just a local kid, you guys, like watching missionaries come in and, and out and because of that missionary's commitment um, and his love for God, I get to know the Lord, and my life is better for it. So you can also make the decision. I know that some of you are called to stay, but I know for a fact that some of you are called to go. And now many generations of my family, our lives are changed. And so... I hope that this encourages you. If you have a little pulling on your heart to go and be a missionary, I hope that you take that step of faith. And I hope that you come to Guam. Thank you. Amen. I know we missed some slides, but just, just for, this is our uh, medical team, dental team, everyone that's in the clinic. And then to be more specific, this is actually my wife's team, um, the dental department. And so we got a wonderful crew there, wonderful people that are passionate to serve and to teach about the love of God. And so if you want to be part of our team, again, please come and let me know. Or you could um, email me at this email and we could get in touch. So right now I want to do a little bit of short sermon about what is our passion as missionaries? What are we out there, Guam, doing? And what are we teaching the people there? What is the purpose of us being there? And this may apply to you. If you don't have to be out in Guam uh, to do what I'm going to be talking about tonight, maybe you're a provider. And something that I'm going to share with you tonight, it's something that you could use with your patients. And if not, maybe it might apply to you. It might be something that it may be something that you may need to work on still, and God might be speaking to you about it. And so we're gonna the title of tonight, the talk. Oops, sorry, I'm going the wrong way. 
is your belief impacts your mental health. And as you guys know, again, my profession is a mental health provider. And so I'm very passionate about this. And so we're going to learn about how does your belief impact your mental health. So before I get started, I want to ask God to be with us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, that we could be here today and worship you, our God of this universe, Lord. Your love is so great and so wonderful. We just want to uplift you tonight and to get to know you even more. I thank you so much for all things you do for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I want to tell you guys a story about a man named Charles Blondin, okay? I don't know if you guys heard of him before, but he was a man in 1800s. He was famous for tightrope walking. He could walk across a tightrope like it was nothing. And one of the things that he was famous for was he walked across Niagara Falls. Now, this was a quarter mile long, 160 feet high. Raise your hand if you ever do this. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there's some slack liners here, right? Um, this is something amazing that he did. He walked across this tightrope at Niagara Falls. And he could actually do it blindfolded. He could go backwards. And he just, you name it, he could do it. And one of the things that he loved to do was he walked across with a wheelbarrow. And he did this at the Niagara Falls. Now, at his event, he had a crowd. And at this event, he asked the crowd, he said, who believes that I could carry someone in this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? And the crowd goes, we believe, we believe. You're the great Charles Blondin, we believe. And the next minute he asks us, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? And what do you guys think what the people said? It was dead silence. No one volunteered. Now the question is, they believed, right? But did they actually believe? You see, they knew that Charles could probably do that. They actually probably 100% knew that Charles could do it after seeing what he does. But there is a difference between knowing and believing. I'm going to say it again. There's a difference between knowing and believing. And we all know this famous verse about uh, verse about believing, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes will have what? An everlasting life, eternal life. And we say we believe, we believe. But could it be that maybe we're mistaking it with knowing, knowing the love of Christ? We know Jesus loves us. We know Jesus came down and died for us. But do we actually believe it? Because going back to Charles Blondin's situation, if the people actually believed, what would they have done? They would have got into the wheelbarrow, right? 
And so this is the same question we ask, um, I want to ask you, is if Jesus is asking you to get into his wheelbarrow, are you actually doing it? And if you're not, then the problem may be is that you're struggling with belief. This is a huge thing. And at our clinic, we're very passionate, at Guam SDA Clinic, we're very passionate about preventative and lifestyle medicine. We teach about healthy lifestyle, eating, healthy diet, exercising, and getting enough rest so that we could prevent diseases or, and even reverse diseases. But there's a, <laughs> there's a thing, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be vulnerable and uh, admit to this, that I've thought certain things before about my patients, and I, I, I feel really bad for this. I teach them, hey, eat healthy. I give them like a meal plan and tell them to exercise, get them a fitness plan. And then when they come back, and you might have experienced it yourself too with patients or maybe with your friends or family, you teach them about eating healthy, exercising, and then when you see them again, you're like, hey, did you do what I showed you, what I, you know, taught you? And they say, no, I haven't tried yet. You know, I, 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 have, I haven't even given a try. You know, I said, not even once? No, not even once. And you start thinking in your head, man, this guy is so lazy right? Or this person's not even trying. And I'm so guilty of this. I've, I've thought of this with my patients. But you see, the problem is, it's not the fact that they're lazy, actually. They know that this is going to be good for them. I mean, you could watch YouTube videos, you could watch or listen to podcasts and all these things now talking about plant-based diet, how getting good night rest is beneficial for you and all these things. And they know this, but the problem is what? They don't believe it. And they're struggling with believing, but not just believing in it, but I want to propose that they're struggling with some sort of negative belief. And this is what something that we are very passionate about teaching the patients and not just patients, but to the world, about how to overcome some negative beliefs. So I like to show this because it just makes sense how much belief is so important. Beliefs are the architect of your mind, your body, and soul. And you see the map here. It says your belief actually turns into thoughts. Your thoughts turns into feelings. Your feelings turns into action. Your action turns into habits. And habits turns into character. And this is what God wants to do for us is to have a better character, isn't it? To be like more like Christ Jesus, to have the character of Christ. And is it, even if a, as a Christian, if you're wondering why I'm struggling so much, we may be focusing in the wrong place. Maybe we're focusing on actions, right? Hey, being a bit better Christian, go to praxis, right? Go to church, read your Bible, and you're trying to fix that. The thing is, though, we actually need to get to the root problem. And that's what I want to do with people I work with is I want to help them to get to the root problem 
And the root problem here, you can see here, is what? Your belief. Your belief is actually going to take you to actions you're going to make and the character that you're going to have. And we need to really reflect on this belief. And so to, to analyze this, we got to look at different categories. Um, one thing you can look into is beliefs about the world, beliefs about others, and beliefs about ourselves. These are some of the main categories. I mean, if you think, you know, there's so many different movements these days in the world, right? And I believe in this, I believe in that, I want to fight for this. And you expect the world to be a certain way. But the thing is, if you live your life like that, believing the world should give me what I want, it should be the way I want it to be, you're most likely going to end up being dissatisfied. And you're going to lose hope because that's not how the world works. We're all going to have different opinions, and it's just not going to work the way you want it to be. If you may think that others will have malicious intent against you, you think, people are judging you all the time, or you're worried about what people think of you, then you most likely have social anxiety, and you're never going to connect people in deeper levels. And then if you believe about yourself of having no worth or value, and you think that there's no purpose or reason for you to be alive, then you most likely going to have depression. You're going to help, you're going to feel hopeless. And so your belief sets you up for actually failure, success, or failure. And so to, to give you an example, you know, one of the main things that we, I believe we struggle with beliefs is because relationships. Relationships is one way that we discover our value and worth. And that could be from your relationship with, you know, romantic relationship. It could be even... Um, your friendships, but also it could even come from your relationship with your parents. You know, a lot of times as a therapist, I really look into my patient's childhood because a lot of times your negative beliefs may come from your childhood, the way you had your relationship with your parents. And I'm going to share with you my story. Yes, that's me <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> um, this is something that I love to do with my family is uh, we used to ski a lot and now I snowboard. I, I left skiing behind, now I'm snowboarding. <laughs> 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 um, but my, my dad, is some, this is something my dad enjoyed the most. Um, he enjoys skiing and so I started skiing when I was three years old. And the reason why I chose this picture, um, because you might say, why did you choose this picture? is because this is one of the only picture I have with my dad in the photo. Um, I'm going to share with you guys a little bit of my story where my dad, um, so we grew up in, Cal I grew up in California, and my dad and my mom wasn't doing well, and they actually ended up separating. And then when they separated, they lived obviously in different homes. I lived with my mom. And this went on for a while, you know, they, they just really didn't get along. And my, ma my mom, one day, this was when I was nine years old, you know, just talked to me saying, hey, how do you feel about asking your dad to come back home? You know, do you miss your dad? And I said, yeah, I miss my dad. I, I miss him so much. 
And she's like, okay, let's go ask him to come back and to live with us. So I got so excited as a nine-year-old, I actually made a huge banner saying, come back home, dad. All right, I made a huge banner. It was long. I still remember it. I made it colorful and everything. And we go to the house that my dad resides, and I, oh, my mom actually knocks the door. And she, he, uh, my dad didn't answer the door, and so she's thinking, what's going on? And so we knocked louder, and we actually called out his name, and no answer. And we're like, what's going on? So we actually go to the back of the house, and we look through the window, and we saw the whole house was empty. What we found out later on was that my dad actually left and went back to Japan, where we were originally from, and left us actually in California without telling us. And as a nine-year-old, I was heartbroken. I mean, it's the first time I ever experienced heartbroken. My dad was my best friend. He taught me, you know, how to how to ski. He taught me how to play hockey. That was my main sport. And my best friend left me. And that was the moment that my belief changed. My belief changed to that when you're so close with someone, they'll leave you one day. And so I started to think that it's better not to connect peop with people on a deeper level. I started to believe that if I don't act a certain way or if I don't look a certain way, then people are going to leave you. And that's why my dad left, because of me. He didn't want to be with me anymore. This carried on in my teens and even my early 20s. That led me to so much heartache that I got into to um, toxic relationships. I got into wrong things to make me feel better, like alcohol and drugs. And... I started to rely on things that wasn't reliable or sustainable. I, my worth and value was based on if I have this career, maybe people will accept me. If I have this much money, people will love me or I'll be happy. And all these things, this belief I had led me to deep depression, deep anxiety. I actually had really bad social anxiety that the very first time I came up to a stage to do even like a presentation, I actually fainted. So to, for me to be up here is a, a miracle from God. And, and, this <laughs> and, and praise God. And this is, this is something that I, I never thought I would be able to overcome. And because I was thinking in my head, I wanted to die. I, I just didn't feel like living. I just wanted to die. And it wasn't until I met someone, a, a counselor, that helped me, actually, to go through my beliefs. She presented me that I fully didn't understood the love of God. And I didn't see what Jesus, how much Jesus valued me. And how much, actually, Jesus believes in me and gave me purpose to have a better purpose than what I was living at that time. And when my belief system changed and I started to believe that I had worth and value, made my actions, my everything look different. I started to thrive. I started to enjoy life more. And God really healed me at that time. 
And this is the type of healing that I want to bring to people. And I hope that you want to do the same thing, that you want to do this for people that you're serving. And so beliefs about God is such a huge thing. People are having a wrong understanding of God's love, and they think that God is condemning, God doesn't love you, and he's judgmental. But if you actually look in John 3, 17, right after 16, it says here, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And so God wants us to share this to people and to restore this belief, to get them overcome the negative belief and restore the belief in the truth from the Bible and straight from him. And this is what I'm really passionate about because even in my work, I seen so many changes with my patients. I mean, you know, I got thrown into the deep end being a the only uh, mental health provider at the uh, clinic, and then now we have actually two more, so it's great and wonderful, but I mean, I was straight out of school, and I didn't know what to do, but all I knew is that I wanted to share this belief of who Jesus is, the truth, and so to be honest with you guys, it's, it's, um, it's really interesting. A lot of therapists would tell me that you shouldn't be doing that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, and I do this. I literally just teach about Christ in my ther- therapy. You know, when, when they're questioning their worth and value, I go straight to, you know what? You have worth and value. Let me show you. And I show them straight from the Bible. And you might think they might not respond well, but you'll be surprised. They respond so well. And the first time they say, wow, now I see there's worth to live. These are patients of mine that wants to commit suicide, right? They just don't see any hope of living. But I just present to them the love of Christ. And their belief just switches just right away. And I love about that because I've never actually experienced this much, um, this change that I see in people, um, helping people with these changes. And Again, I just straight up just teach them about the love of Christ. I, you know, I do try to do CBT and all those things, but I really include scriptures into this. And it, it's just so powerful. And I know even my wife, being a dental chair, yeah, they're there to just get treated for their teeth. But my wife also spends time praying with them, even asking them, you know, she notices. I, I, I always tell her she should be a therapist because she notices when a patient comes in, she knows there's something going on, and she asks them, are you okay? Like, is something going on? And she's had patients where they open up. You know, a dental chair could be like a therapy chair, right? Um, and she ends up praying for them, and they feel so much better because even with that prayer, they see hope, and that belief just changes. And one of the things that we are very passionate about, my wife and I, is small group. And who is thankful for life group? Raise your hand. Amen. Who, who, is, the life gr- who is in life group um, here tonight? Who is in life group? Any life group? All right. Awesome. Awesome. My wife and I were leaders for life groups when we were here. And we're so thankful for Praxis with the life group concept and what Pastor Phil, you know, has taught us about life group. 
And it was so influential in our life that when we went to Guam, there was no young adult uh, group at all. And it, everyone was just so segregated. Some, some of the young adults actually stopped going to church. And so my wife and I, we were saying, you know what, we need to pray about this and do something. And restore this belief in God. And so we started a small group on Friday nights. And, you know, it was small. Maybe the first time we did it was only six people. But we stayed consistent, and every week we prayed, and we partnered up with two other friends, and we stayed committed. And now we have more than 20 people showing up every Friday. And it's not even just from the church, but we have people that's outside of church coming and seeking for something that's better than what the world is saying they could provide. And they see that God could provide something better, and they keep coming to our um, to our meetings. And I even have some patients, young adults that I have, I see, I actually invite them to small groups. And it's really amazing, um, particularly two people that I actually minister to quite often, um, their brother and sister. Their anxiety is so high that it's it's just off the chart. And it's so bad that they the younger sister can't even go to school. The brother wants to work out, but goes to the gym and stays in his car for like three, four hours, wanting to go into the gym, but can't overcome that social anxiety. And these are the patients that I really took time to spend time with them and talking about the love of Jesus and how the uh, Jesus can give them the power to overcome their anxiety and I kept inviting to the small group, and they actually started to come. And they actually, this is, social, this is patients that are having social anxieties. And they actually started coming to our small group. And it was amazing. It was only a miracle of God that they came. And what's more amazing is they came back to see me for sessions. And their, char- their questionnaires were so low that they almost didn't have any depression or no more, no more anxiety. And I asked them, what's going on? What's, what's happening? And they said, I believe in Christ Jesus' love. I believe that he has created me and I have worth and value. And through the friendships they created, they even see their worth and value even more. They believe there's more to life than just being in a room and stuck in darkness, just protecting themselves from the world. And now they're out, they're coming to our small groups. Um, the sister is actually just a high school student. And I asked her, man, what's been going on? You look so different. And she says, every day, every morning and evening, I pray to God. And don't, don't underestimate even teens. Share them about Christ and you'll change their belief, and they'll believe in the power of prayer. And she just says, I never stop praying. I pray every morning, every evening, and that's what made a difference. And when we hear those stories, my wife and I, we're just so full of joy. You know, this is the reason why we're in Guam, to help these people, to restore this belief in God, and to believe that there's more to life than what they think. And so we study together, we meet up together, 
and we play together. And it's just an awesome thing. I'm just so thankful for Praxis for sharing this, sharing with us a wonderful gift of a concept of life group. And I know you guys are doing this, and I really hope that you could restore this belief in people that you're working with, in your life group, or whatever ministry you're involved with. If you want to come and join us in Guam, it'll be wonderful. Come and join us. Come and be part of this young adult group, and you can help us minister to more people, to more young adults. Maybe we could start a Praxis chapter in Guam. And community is so important. This is the restoration that God wants to do. And just to finish off, I want to tell you, finish the story of myself. What happens when your belief changes, your action will change. Your character will change. You see, I hated my dad. I hated him so much. I didn't want to see him for a long time. Actually, I, I actually stopped talking to him. I, after he left, we did kind of talk once in a while, but I stopped talking to him for a long time. But after God changed my beliefs, I, I changed. And I said, I want to have the character of Christ. And I believe that Christ could give me this character. And it just changed so much that I told um, my wife, my fiance at the time, but my wife, I, was, I told her, I said, I need to call my dad and ask for forgiveness. And it's, and it's weird, right? Because my dad did something wrong. But I had this strong conviction that I need to ask for forgiveness because my heart, my belief has led me to a place of such a deep hatred, dark place, that I knew that I wanted to let that go. And to let that go, I needed to ask him for forgiveness. So I asked him, I actually called him up. You know, I wanted to visit him, but you know what? Pandemic hit, and it sucks. I couldn't go to Japan where he was. And I just said, you know what? I need to call him. So I called him, and I just told him, Dad, I want you to forgive me for the hatred I had towards you. And my dad was so shocked. He said, why are you asking for forgiveness? I should ask you for my forgiveness. I left you. But I said, no. I know I don't want this anymore. I don't want this hatred. And I had hatred towards you. I spoke lowly about you. And I want you to forgive me. And he, he said, I, I forgive you, but if you forgive me. And I said, dad, I, I forgive you. I really do. And our relationship was restored. And you see this uh, picture here. A lot, just last September, I took my wife to Japan and I introduced my wife to my dad and our relationship is restored. And so this is the beauty of when we start with the belief that you're worth so much, you're valuable in the eyes of Christ so much that he died for you on the cross. If you could start from this belief, it will change you. It will change your entire life. And again, this is what we want to bring to the world, to the people. And I, I urge you to do the same. Maybe you haven't experienced it yet. In order for other people to believe, we need to believe. And we need to experience this. And so if you're passionate about doing ministry, God is, I believe, inviting you to experience the true belief experience. May that change your thoughts. May that change your feelings. May that change your actions. 
your habits, and then your character. And we will have the character of Christ through his love. And so let's pray right now. Ask the Lord to change us our hearts and to invite him into our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for this love that you have for us, the worth and value that we have through you. Lord, if we're struggling with negative beliefs, I ask you to take those away, replace it with your truth. And may you be the one to come into our hearts, and may we be changed by you. I ask you, Lord, if anyone here is wanting a change today, may you make it happen right now. May it not be tomorrow, next week, or whatever, but may it be tonight, Lord. And Lord, those that are passionate about being missionaries, I ask you, guide them and lead them, and to show them the beautiful life that they could have when they're serving you and to serving the people of yours, Lord. I thank you so much for your love. Thank you for this evening. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.